Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, she can't stop eating the local Vietnamese beef noodle soup. It's so good. Leanne Hughes. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes, and I'm here to help you create unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. Last week on the show, we had Wade Brill. She's a mindfulness coach, and she was sharing her ideas on how we can get more centered when we bounce into all these Zoom meetings or MS Teams or whatever platform you're using. But I'm certainly hanging up from one call. I'm clicking the link to go to another call and I'm not really having a break. I'm bringing all those sort of issues, concerns, opportunities from a previous call into that new call. And she shares her ideas on how we can sort of arrive, arrive at those meetings feeling more centered and more focused, which also helps us become a better listener, better facilitator and more present as well. This week, I'm bringing on a guest who really tunes into what people want. And you may think that's a superpower of his, like how does he know what industry wants or companies or people? He's figured out a really neat system on how to do this. So this is really important if you're thinking about what kind of workshop you can run, how you can market opportunities for your business, how you can fill out your webinars. He has a strategy to do that. His name is Ken Bergen, and if you're a member of the flip chart, you'll definitely know the name, but you might not know the story. In fact, I learned a ton about Ken and how thoughtful he is in this conversation. Ken Bergen is based in Sydney, and he works with food service operators to assist them to be more popular and successful. He is a former cafe and restaurant owner in Sydney and started the online management platform Profitable Hospitality. He now works for hospitality finance company Silverchef, focused on educational content and events for business owners. Ken has many years of experience providing training and content to help transform the hospitality industry. He likes finding out the why of business success and the why not of business problems, keeping track of the latest technology and presentation techniques and updating his photography skills. In this conversation, we flip between talking about the virtual facilitation side of things, so how to run an engaging webinar, versus how do we get people to our webinars in the first place? And really, it's all about providing value to the people that we serve. This might sound obvious, but Ken provides some really specific strategies on how he grew his business and ended up selling out a lot of his weekend workshops. He also shares how he connects with people and and how he uses systems to keep himself industry current. Now, if you are on the flip chart, you'll know that you hop on there and through the week, Ken will post these articles and insights that you've never seen before. And you're like, how does he find this stuff? You know, where does he get the time to do it? And I love that he shares this and he makes it sound very accessible for all of us to do. When COVID hit back, gosh, back in the beginning of February, Ken was the first person I hopped on a Zoom call with to talk through, to test things out like virtual backgrounds. And he showed me all the cool signs he used to use in his webinars. And I love that he has this mindset of just trying things out and giving it a go. If you enjoy this episode, reach out to Ken. You can find him at Ken Bergen, K-E-N-B-U-R-G-I-N.com.au. Add him on LinkedIn, follow him on Instagram, all of the networks. You can even chat to him on our free Facebook group called The Flip Chart. And a link to all of that plus Ken's contact details is over in the show notes for this one at firsttimefacilitator.com forward slash episode 135. Now onto the show. I am 
super excited to welcome today's guest onto the show, Ken Bergen, down in Sydney. Ken, how are you? I'm really excited about this. Honoured and excited. Great to be here. Yeah. I'm excited too. I mean, like we've chatted a few times. Like we have actually done a video recording before for the flip chart. We've messaged. And every time you say something, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that about you. So I'm really keen to explore like more of your story. And <laughs> it's like, oh, I didn't mystery know that. Man. Yeah, yeah, mystery yeah, man. Yeah. So tell us more. Like, how did yeah. you how did I mean, I guess interestingly enough, you know, you're doing a lot of virtual work now, workshops, but you've got a really interesting career background. Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah, well, in a previous life, I think we've all had a few lives, haven't we? Uh, previous life, I trained as a social worker in child welfare, which was kind of interesting and a bit scary at times, but I really enjoyed that. But always had a dream of having my own cafe and then living in Glebe in a suburb of Sydney where there's lots of cafes and one was for sale. And I didn't know about how do you buy a business or anything like that, but I learned pretty quickly and you get the money organised, you get a lawyer involved and all the rest. So had uh, a cafe and then a restaurant for 10 years, really enjoyed that. And it was pretty successful with those businesses and got to a point at the end of 10 years, my brain, I loved the work, uh, money was good, but my brain wasn't getting enough stimulation. But one of the things that kept me kind of interested during that time was staff training, actually. And that was I had a, a couple of staff who really enjoyed delivering that too as well. So it wasn't just me because I try to kind of delegate that kind of stuff if possible, and especially if it's just like um, frontline training with, you know, new waiters or chefs or something like that. But it just intrigued me and just the assumptions that we make about how people learn mm. and what they need to know. And it's usually not very true. I never forget. I love numbers and I'm big on numbers and teaching numeracy as part of business education because a lot of people actually are pretty hopeless at numbers. We've all found ways to disguise that. <laughs> and I never forget having a bunch of chefs who I wanted to teach about food costing, which is, you know, that you don't make money unless you get your food costing mm. right in mm. hospitality. And uh, so I got little calculators for everyone. There was about five of them who were standing around bench in the kitchen and we had a big strip of uh, sirloin steak that comes in about four and a half kilos and for that to be served and on the plate it has to be open and it has to be trimmed and you know then you cut it up into 10 or 11 portions so whatever you buy that steak for it's going to be you know there's going to be waste and all, all sorts of interesting things with calculators uh, with calculations to work out so I said let's do this and we got into and then I said now grab the calculator and let's see how we go and not one person knew how to use a calculator mm. see so my assumption was just completely wrong so I learned a lot <laughs> Yeah, I've actually had a situation before using an app and I thought, gosh, it's going to be so easy. And then there was things like language barriers and all sorts of yeah, things that didn't yeah, anticipate. Yeah. It wasn't even on the yeah. radar. Yeah. And so when I've, I am, and after I'd sold my business and uh, I kind of invented a, a course, which we'll talk a bit about inventing courses, uh, which is called Starting a Cafe or Restaurant in Sydney. And I ran that for, gosh, about 15 years. You know, it was a, it was a full day, Saturday. I loved delivering that I think I saved so many houses so many people because my aim in that course was that people learn a lot and then decide not to do it because most people shouldn't go into right it's a very hard business very risky and a lot of the dreamers and schemers who came along had stars in their eyes it was a bad decision but one of the, the way I persuaded them ultimately and it, it wasn't my job to say yes or no to them but was to give them some facts around numbers and again, I knew most people, at least half the room, probably 
didn't really know how to use a calculator on their phone, for instance, because mm. I saw a, a, a stat years ago that said uh, that 47 out of 100 people can't do a percentage. Okay, so that's really stuck in my mind. I keep trying to find the source of that right now, but it's yeah. stuck in my mind. And so we'd sort of wrap up the workshop. We'd have a great day talking about marketing and concepts and menu and all the exciting stuff and employing stuff. Then we'd do the numbers. And that's when people would go all a bit silent because they realised it just wasn't easy money. And, you know, you've had that experience yourself, I'm sure, where people do the work themselves, come to the realisation, your job's not there to say, bad decision, don't do this, don't do that, because people don't believe, you know, they don't yeah. believe they're going to be unsuccessful. They've got to convince themselves. <laughs> And I think we all have that, particularly when you look at owning a restaurant or cafe, you're like, oh, like all, when I, if I do it, I'd think, oh, it's going to be so much fun. I'll just be like yeah. at the bar and like enjoying my coffees yeah. and conversations. Like I see that side of it. I don't see like the early mornings, the, the yeah. balance sheets, all of that. And it's funny, I've, there's a few restaurants just down at a shopping center down the road and the t- like every three or four months, it seems like there's another new store mm. in there. Yeah. A little human, not a tragedy, but you know, some sad stories behind that turnover yeah. as well. That's what, and when you've delivered pretty much the same workshop for years and years. You really do learn the script. You learn the, the one-liners, you know, the zingers. And, you know, I'm what I love the most is getting everyone talking and asking questions and sharing ideas and all that. So translating from that joy of doing one, you know, live events to online. That's kind of a bit of yeah. a challenge we've got to talk about. Let's talk about that. Ken, you've been running, I've seen you really become very active in this space since COVID hit in terms of supporting your industry, hospitality, and particularly, you know, cafe and restaurants that are really feeling the pinch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So some things that you've been doing, I've noticed your webinars, your content, it seems like you've always got the latest stats and articles that you're sharing. Mm. Mm-hmm. So let's, okay, let's, let's first explore the webinars. How did you build up your skills quickly to deliver these for? The yeah, well, I've been doing them for quite a few years, actually. I've had a, a, a photo recently of about nine years ago. It was when GoToWebinar was kind of the only one. Yeah. Still as expensive as it was then. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, and I remember the first one, one of my brothers who's very good at marketing, he was staying with me at the time. He was my kind of technical director and it was, yeah, like you all do the first times, take a deep breath. And we had like 350 people and it was on this really cutting edge topic. Then. You know what it was? Online marketing. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's hilarious, isn't it? That anyway, is. <laughs> and, and I look at my the slide of styles, the style of slides I did there. It's just, yeah, anyway, you learn, you practice. Comic sans, bold italics. All that, yeah, yeah no comic sans. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of dark, darkness. So I've been kind of running those. You just you just get better at it. And, and I guess for facilitators also, just between us, it's actually not as hard as other people think, is it? Mm. I remember someone explaining that to me. Don't tell them that it's too easy. It's not like it's easy, but people think it's, you know, incredibly difficult and complicated and not so much, especially once you've, you know, repeated it a few times or half a dozen times. You just get better at that. But it's a way of reaching out to people. And over time, just kind of I've learned to be more interactive. And there's a lot more tools now for people, you know, having chat and Q&A and getting people responding and those sorts of things. So, yeah, really enjoy that. And But I'd always go back to live events. That was my my preference. That's what I 
mm. like the most. But um, when I had a, a membership website, which was my main business for quite a few years, we'd have webinars as kind of part of the paid membership benefits and have the recording of them available for people afterwards, that sort of thing. Yeah, so you've been doing this for some time, and whereas like it just yeah, it's getting bigger and bigger now. This whole membership mm. model with web paid webinars and all, of, all all sorts of things. And I remember when COVID first hit, we jumped on a call, and you were showing me some really cool tools within Zoom, and you were, you had these printed signs, so you're mixing the physical world <laughs> yes. and the digital world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't it funny? We think of uh, here we are. I'll show you. This was one of those ones. <laughs> yeah, for those listening, it says he's holding up a sign which says, "I think you are muted." <laughs> I mean, it's. Funny. Is that and now, of course, when you I ask people to can I you'd like to be a guest on a webinar, and everyone I say it's just like a Zoom call. Oh, no problem, you mm. know, easy. Everyone's ready to do it because they know what a Zoom call is, they've all done it. Whereas, again, there was another layer of kind of calming people down, it's not complicated, you know, it's you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so that's nice, that makes it easier, definitely, for, for people who want to offer webinars. So how do you keep new things? I mean, if you've got the same sort of audience coming into your calls every week or fortnight or however often you run it, do you feel a certain pressure on yourself to keep things fresh or like to mix Yeah, well, you got up? you like, need to. So I have a I have at the minute with Silver Chef, the company I work for, every two weeks I run a webinar and I alternate. One is called Smart Operator Roundtable mm-hmm. and there's one of those coming up this week. So basically that's three or four. I've got like four cafe and restaurant owners who are going to come on as my guests. It's just like, how do you do what you do? How are you handling this year? You know, what are some of the things? And I, I find people who, you know, from their record, and I've talked to them before, that they, they've got some achievements. But people really love to hear what didn't work and how we fixed it, you know, because that's human then. You know, it's pretty boring when we hear presentations and everything's triumphant and just like this march, march into the future. That's, that's not life, you know. So I'll always call, each one's called the Smart Operator Roundtable, but the guests, the characters in the performance are changing each time. And then the alternate one every fortnight is a more topical one. So the previous one we did was about buying and selling cafes and restaurants because amazingly in this topsy-turvy world at the minute, the demand in Australia for people to buy cafes is soaring you know there's a huge demand yeah lots of people who've lost jobs or want to change careers or want an opportunity because suburban cafes with a simple operation doing lots of takeaway are doing really well so I thought okay you know and that's where I tune in what's happening in the industry Mm. let's see if we can design a webinar around that topic so with something like that again then I'm now time was it was like me being as the source of all wisdom and have your deck of 30 slides and go through and preach. And there's still value sometimes in that approach. But this time I had a business broker and a lawyer and a bookkeeper on and someone else who's a consultant in the area. So again, it was the panel style coming back to that. And, you know, I've loved panels for ages. I had sitting through badly run panels. So, so what does a badly run panel look like for you? A badly run panel, first of all, is they ask everyone the answer, to answer the same question. Yeah. You know, and it's just, please, and they're, and they're boring questions. They don't challenge anyone. And, well, a good panel is we might just ask different people different questions, but we also challenge the panellists mm-hmm. if they give a bit of a cliche answer or, you know, just something that's not 
digging deep. Our job is facilitators is to dig deep, to find out the why did it happen that way? How did you fix that problem? No, no, tell us exactly. Who did you have to sack? Not, oh, we hired a really great team. Yeah, but you had a team before. What happened to the old one? You know. Ooh, love those questions. You know, we gotta yeah. we've got to dig deep because yep. that and I remember once doing this service around event management having a panel and this woman came up to me afterwards and said, you asked all the questions that I wanted to ask. And I was really flattered by that. And that's our job really is to get in the mind of our audience because most of them are not going to put their hand up. Although you're saying, you know, any questions, you know, most people don't mm. ask questions. They'll sit and listen. So the more we can channel them really with the juicy questions, mm. the better, I think. Yeah. Mm. And you've talked about that a couple of times. So tuning in, in the context of being a facilitator on a panel, but you also talked about tuning in in terms of what's the relevant topic at the moment in terms of your webinar and the fact that people are buying suburban cafes. So Mm, how mm. do you tune in to what's going on in your industry? Well, I think there's actually a a couple of kind of top themes that for my industry, but lots of industries, will always get people leaning forward. And one is cost-cutting, cost-control, bad staff, issues with inadequate or badly performing staff. I mean, they're kind of universal issues that are hard ones to deal with. Mm. So if we dive straight into that, like I'm planning the webinar up to next, the topic one is going to be just called cost cutting. And I'm going to get some smart operators who I know the software they use or the way they hire people or the way they do their supply, procurement, all those sorts of things. But I know, and I've known for ages, whenever I use the word cost control or cost cutting, everyone leans forward. I want to know that. And interestingly, because in business, there's two ways to increase your bottom line. One is cut costs. The other is grow sales. But if I said how to grow sales, you know, to make more money, I'll get half the audience than I would if I do a cost cutting. You know, it's like I'd yeah. much rather talk positive, but does that I, resonate? Yeah, no, but I, I did the same thing with the webinar. I wrote, I was like how to create an engaging presentation versus yeah. how to create a non-boring workshop experience and everyone yes. signed up for non-boring. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because we've all been in one and we all dread the thought that we might offer one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we and might th- bore people. Yeah, so the the language is, so I guess coming back to, you know, how do I keep up with themes and things like that, I I know those are things to kind of deal with, a topical thing. I was actually, when I was preparing, thinking back to, back in history a little bit, when Australia had the GST, Goods and Services Tax, introduced 10%. So I was running a cost control workshop for restaurants through the Restaurant Association, and it was going pretty well. So, hang on, just change the name. GST and cost control doubled the number of people coming along. And all I did was add half an hour on, you know, what GST means and what the admin's going to look like. And But, again, just kind of... Look, be sharp on what's what are the pain points in your industry. I mean, old sales technique, isn't it? If you've got a bruise, go and hit that arm and say, oh, it must really hurt, doesn't it? Now I've got just the thing to, to make you feel better. Yeah, well, they often say when you, in your marketing, like you've got to state the problem, don't assume that they know what the problem is. And if you could, yes. wasn't it Zig Ziglar, I think we had this chat before, if you can define the problem the way that your customer defines it, they think you've already got a solution. 
Yes. I paraphrased yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess keeping up with my industry, so I, I'm kind of like in one vertical, whereas I know a lot of facilitators, you sort of need to be across a few different ones. But I guess I've got all my kind of sources of information. LinkedIn's pretty useful, especially been I've built up a big kind of connection list, but I'm pretty ruthless about who I accept or who I ask. I only want to talk to people in Australia who are in my industry, basically. So then my I know some people who've got incredible you know, connection lists, but they kind of, it's all over the world and all over the shop and all over different topics. So that can be useful. But I think the biggest source of information for me in something that I've built up over years and years is my list of blogs that I follow through a blog reader. Most of us have probably got a few different blogs that we like looking at, but if you have a blog reader like Feedly is one, maybe we'll put the link in that. That's a good one. Cool. So I'll put Feedly in the show notes. Yeah. So, see, people worry about if you subscribe to lots of blogs, oh, my God, I'm going to be completely overwhelmed. No, most people, they might write a blog entry once a month or something like that. But, you know, I've probably got more than 500 blogs in that that I follow. But that means every day when I check the blog reader, there might be 50 or 60 entries. But what I'm seeing is just a little three or four line summary of it. It's like the headline of the blog post plus the first three or four sentences. So I'm just on my iPad. It's the first thing I do in the morning after breakfast. I just flick through on my blog list, anything that catches my eye from the headline or the topic. And then that will only be, you know, maybe one in 10 or less than that. I'll open it up, have a read. I might then um, tweet it because I use Twitter a lot. I like to share information or I might occasionally send it on to someone who I know might be interested or I'll email it to myself because I might want to put it in my newsletter or something like that. So when you see a blog, and this is where you set your your browser up properly, whether it's on your iPad or Chrome I use on, on my computer, you can have a little extension in there, a Feedly extension. So you see a blog and say, oh, they do interesting stuff here. Click on that and it's added to your Feedly list. So every time they write a new blog post, it's going to pop up in Feedly as you're scrolling through. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, such a great way to create content. Yeah, Without because creating it. Yeah. another way, you know, you think, oh, I'll get on their email news, their newsletter list and all that. And I don't mind that, but usually I prefer this way for me to kind of harvest information. Mm. And then you can spread, very, especially the fact you don't have to read everything. All you're doing is just skimming through, seeing if something looks of interest. Then you can gulp through lots of information this way without being overwhelmed. Mm. So blogs, I'd say, is number one for keeping up with information. I really like Twitter as a source of information. And Twitter I use, I guess, it's not just industry information, but I also use it for, you know, like I follow European politics, I follow a few historical subjects. I mean, Twitter's amazing. You use Twitter, don't you? Yeah, you know, I do. You, not, and, not, as, not as well as you. <laughs> I literally just retweet Alan Weiss every day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that. But um, Twitter can be, again, another source of information where you can just skim through quickly. And if someone's being too relentless or retweeting too much, I just stop following them. You know, it'd be pretty 
ruthless about that. Um, so it's blogs, Twitter, a few newsletters, LinkedIn, I find good sources of information because I know that my audience, restaurant owners, cafe owners, other industry people, mostly they don't get to read this. Too busy, just don't have the time, but they do like to be given selected information. So there's a role for me of, as curator, as a person mm. who finds the good stuff yeah. for you, the relevant stuff, cut through the noise, etc. Yeah, Ken the curator, love it. Yeah, yeah, KK, there you go. Um, <laughs> I mean, an example would be most of the management writing in hospitality is American sources. Now, sometimes it's relevant, a lot of times it's not because the industry is a different scale, different cost drivers, completely different but there is some extremely good stuff comes out of mm. the US so that's where I'll kind of sift through stuff and share that yeah I mean it's such a good strategy a lot of people when they think about oh I've got to become an expert and like be a thought leader they think that it's all about them generating new ideas constantly and what I love uh, about your approach is that it's like hang on we've got the internet the world wide web is here with all this amazing content being generated you stand out Kim because every time I hop onto LinkedIn or even the flip chart Facebook group you're sharing this new article that I've never seen before and it's like <laughs> and that makes your profile just go, where did you what? find that yeah, yeah. people say to me where did you find yeah. that where did you find it <laughs> so I want to talk to you yeah. more Ken about business because you, know, you mm-hmm. ran a profitable cafe now you're helping out hospitality business owners so any service-based industry there's a few key elements right like you said it's cutting costs growing sales mm. We've got a lot of facilitators listening and a lot of people recently during COVID have actually gone, you know what, I don't want to work for my company anymore. I want to do my own thing. Mm. What are your tips for, for growing a business? For growing so um, thinking back to when I, uh, yeah, I sold my cafe and restaurant, I always thought I want to be a consultant. And that lasted about six months because I found in consulting, people don't want, don't do what you suggest. They don't listen, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or when they list, when they want your help is when they're losing money and they can't afford to pay you. So that doesn't really work. But also, I, I mean, again, I love the group thing. I love the group stuff. So what I found really worked well was working with industry associations. So like in my industry, it's the Restaurant Association or Club Managers Association, Hotels Association, things like that, and going to them and offering to run workshops for them. or Because industry associations uh, kind of well-respected, usually under-resourced, scratching for money, but they really want to provide services for their members beyond just, you know, representation to government and things like that. So the Restaurant Association, I'll never forget my first marketing, restaurant marketing day. My God, I took weeks to prepare for that. It was yeah, just, yeah, you, we all remember those first ones, don't we? Anyway, the second one's always much better. But I kind of invent, I think I mentioned, you know, it was called Kitchen cost control workshop and again the the magic words cost control and we got a really good response to that and I made so the association would make money they would also be seen to be the good guys because they were offering something of good value for their members who could get a pay a reduced price to do it and I would generally work on a per head by fee basis Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes it would be just a fee but I always made sure that they made plenty of money from that so then I branched out into the area of clubs like social and sporting clubs, which again, hospitality 
different rhythms, different type of people, different cost structures. But um, in Australia, very active with training. Training is a very important part of for managers in those areas. So I came up with, you know, what are you doing around the catering side, the food side, the event side, and all those sorts of things. Oh, nothing. What do you suggest? Well, how about I put something together? And that was enormously successful for years and years and years. Really loved doing that, travelled with that. You get to know the rhythms, the questions, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, nice. Um, So reaching out to industry associations, offering your value to their members. And I give them options, you know, what about this or that or what do people want? Or And sometimes they know, sometimes they don't even know. You've got to talk to the decision makers to find out who they are. So that's, you know, the old networking thing. And these days LinkedIn gives you lots more kind of access to people, decision makers like that as well. So I'm just curious, in your first reach out, would you have an existing relationship or how would you approach them for the first time? Would it be, um, hey, I'm Ken and like, can I do this for you? Or, yeah, the, yeah, so with the Restaurant Association, as a restaurant owner, I'd always been a member. So that gave me, I kind of knew who the bodies, who the people were. Mm-hmm. With the club association, I didn't really, but I had a recommendation from someone else who knew the work I was doing. He said, oh, you should go and have a talk to this training manager. And we had a chat and he said, yeah, let's have a go. Let's see if it'll fly. And it blew up. It didn't just fly. It, you know, went crazy. <laughs> wow, that's so so cool. that was, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was exciting. And I was humble enough to, you know, keep learning and keep asking lots of questions because, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a good question because if you want to get into, it's not sometimes it's industry associations, other time it might be companies, you know, and I guess that's where it's who's going to listen, who's receptive to this. Um, I mean, for you, have you had that experience of cold calling in a sense with any companies? And- I, do you know what? It's, um, I haven't had to, uh, which is very, I'm very lucky to say that. But mm-hmm. when, I, when I first left, I've, I've had lots of contracts that have just been for a set period of time. So, and then I've always mm-hmm. sort of looked ahead and then thought, oh, what do I need to do now? And then I've sort of supplemented that by sort of online offerings as well, just to people in this community. Um, yeah. yeah. Community balanced mm-hmm. out with corporate clients. I know after talking to Alan Weiss, I keep quoting him every single day now after since that interview, but he, yeah, he talks about then referral business. So let's just say you get a corporate client and that's what I've been doing as well, trying to get testimonials and going back to them and going, hey, could you refer me? Uh-huh. Do you know anyone that would need this? And yeah. it's not as cold as... And look, even within a company, like see, I sell my business and now I'm, I work for a, a large company and I... I guess I'm trying to be entrepreneurial within it as well. So every company has an intranet and I saw, oh, there's a blog. You can write blogs here. And no one was writing it. And I thought, I've got onto IT. Can you give me blog access? Yeah, sure, no problem. So, you know, every two or three weeks I write a blog article. So that just, no one else does it, but it's all short and sweet. And I just kind of reach out to different sales teams. Like beginning of the year, do you guys know how to use Zoom? No, can you say, well, how about we have a Zoom call and I'll show you all and we'll swap like you've done, you know, we'll swap admin and we'll have a play together. Oh, that'd be awesome, kid. Will you do that? So we do that. Or another time last year, it was, I was just interviewing sales, you know, people I knew who were really sharp sales, but how do you do what you do? You know, I just put my iPhone on a tripod and go into a a quiet room when I saw them and uh, just interview it and just put them up internally five minutes 
all that sort of stuff. Just do it, you know. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I often get this question, I'm going to throw the question to you because you're very visible. You write these blogs, you do all these webinars. It seems like you're always available to do things like podcast interviews, you're posting on the flip chart, you're doing all the stuff, but how do you manage your time in, like, oh, when do you actually oh my work? Goodness. When do you actually work? <laughs> <laughs> when, do you t- when do you do your real work? Yeah. yeah. I'm a bit of an early bird, so I like to go for an early morning walk about 6.30 or something like that, but that's kind of podcast listening time as well. I guess I'm a little bit of a, not too much of a seven-day-a-weeker. When I was, had my own business, I didn't really know too many boundaries around days of the yeah. week, yeah. but early morning, evening, but, yeah, I have to say time management is not something you should quiz me on too closely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not an expert either. It's funny. So when I, um, I, just for those listening in, I sent, well, I actually wrote the question, like I, I prepped guests before the show and I wrote them down. It was like Friday, 8.30 p.m. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to send this now because I look like a bit of a loser on a Friday writing this out. So in Gmail, you can schedule send. So I sent for like 8 a.m. the following day. But yeah. Ken was all, he's like, he was asking me Saturday morning. So we're both just like, yeah, to do uh, weekend. <laughs> who cares? Who cares? Yeah, that's it. I think it's um, just go mm. with the energy. And like when I get the focus, I'll, it doesn't matter what time of the day it is or week, I'll just mm. run with it. There's, there's times when I'm certainly mm. slack. So, um, <clears throat> so in terms of your workshops, you spoke about that, that marketing on the first one where you were like a bit nervous. You spent weeks preparing for it um are you finding there's a real difference in terms of your personal preparation for jumping on these webinars are you very relaxed now you run them for like nine yeah I'm, I'm more relaxed although this yeah. is sort of webinar week i've got one on thursday and it's monday we're talking uh, just a little bit of nerves around it a little bit mm. of stage nerves which is probably not a bad thing to do i don't want to be feel like i'm too it's really because i've got four new faces and none of them have ever done this before i've spoken to them all they're all ready to go but the outcome i want is lots of chit chat i want the chat to be lively i want the q and a's to flow and that's the thing that i find the hardest sometimes mm. to get that I, I know when we've had topics for instance when the covid crisis blew up and we did some topics on like lease negotiations and really urgent topics that we'd have oh man 40 to 50 questions and having to handle it that was exciting that was exciting how, but, how did you handle that like, well you know i had a team a colleague of mine i work with and we set up the questions we do it on a google sheet so i can be she's kind of um, curating them and finding them i'm putting them on the sheet and i'm reading them out to the relevant lawyer or broker or whoever we were were talking to but we got through it all but that was the the value the importance of having a helper too i think mm. which i've always tried to do um so i guess i've got a sort of set of slides the less it's involving you know me giving all the content the easier it is so for this one this week i've got headshots of everyone i'll just ask them, I'll introduce them briefly. I don't sort of read out a big intro about them. I do screenshots of their website and their social media as just kind of what they're doing. And then let's, let's have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to simplify that much as possible. Um, So my rhythm is I use, so just, just sort of promoting it. I use Eventbrite to, for the bookings. And as I've built up the webinars over the last, um, six months oh i've been using that webinar for a long uh, eventbrite for a long time i built up a really solid list a very big list of several thousand people who've attended so that means i can promote to all of them about future events which is a very powerful way to Mm -hmm. do it so then 
they sign up in Eventbrite, we deliver in Zoom, and I use Zapier as the kind of connection. So the Eventbrite registration automatically triggers a Zoom registration. So there's only one thing people need to do, give us their details once, they're signed up, and then there's the reminder systems, you know, that Mm. both those services have for the day before and the hour before and all those sorts of things. And still you only get 30 to 40% of sign-ups turning up, don't you? That's just... Yeah, and that's actually quite high. I remember when COVID first hit, though, like the amount of people attending webinars, like myself, I I was booked onto like, you know, six to eight every week because I was like, what else else am I going to do? And like, how do we navigate this uncertainty? And I remember like the... The show up rate was around like 60, 70%. It was super high in the first month or so. Now I think it's like we've got that whole fatigue factor setting in. Yeah. So I then the day after I'll send out a link to the replay and links to anything that we've talked about and those sorts of things. You can't automate it completely, but trying to have a system that's easy to reproduce each time. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have any other tips for our listeners who want to get more involved in like other webinars or you could, you could take the other approach and go, is there another tip that you have for someone for growing their business that you think I, I just yeah, can't so, without sharing it? Yeah, well, I think people are keen to write blogs and all those sort of things and oftentimes it's just like, oh, my God. You know, when I got time to, you know, feeling like it's going to be this huge, important, you know, earth shattering piece of content. Well, I've got, you know, I use a a, a note taking app and I've got probably a dozen articles on the go at any one time. If I I get a brainwave or I read something, I think, oh, I could do something like that. So I'll just sort of start tapping out bullet points on that. But also, you know, I wrote stuff, I've been writing stuff for ages. Sometimes you look at old stuff and you think, oh, there's... There's some kernels there. There's some kind of ideas at the centre of that that just can be rewritten, up-to-dated. I found one the other day which was talking about importance of using Facebook, which has 500 million people or something using it, you know, know, five times that or something like that, you know, but obviously that's the sort of thing you update. But the other thing is your blog is your kind of content and part of your credibility, even if it's once a month you do something. But I've been uh, in the last few months... I've always done newsletters previously. I don't do one through for business now, but I've always wanted to do one personally. I've started using a system called Substack, which is you can basically write a newsletter page very easy to set up and edit and add links and add pictures, and then you can click send and send it out as a newsletter. And you can also monetize it if you want to. Mm. So I've got the option of, you know, it's free every week, But back issues I've set up, if you want to look at all the back issues, there's like a small monthly or annual fee and they set up the the billing on that. You pay them 10%, which is worth it. Otherwise, it's completely free. And I find it super easy to kind of edit. And and a lot of the content I put in there, guess what? It's just my curation. It's like the 10 or 12 really interesting things I found this week that's what i put in there and i've always had a youtube video because you can embed a youtube video which might be a funny one or it might be a serious one and a few pictures and enjoy that 
Yeah, yeah it's, it's a nice way to document your life as well and your journey. Mm. And a lot of my favorite newsletters, Michael Bongostania, Nir Ayol, they also have like, you know, a little snippet about what's going on. They've got fun videos, links to great articles, and it's yeah. curated by them. And, I, and it's usually really interesting, right? Because they're mm. cutting out that 90% of stuff that just isn't relevant for their yeah. audience. Mm. Well, these tools are great. How do you find out about all these tools? Substack, you talked about Zapier. I mean, you... you like your systems. Yeah, I guess it's through all those blogs that I follow. It's, yeah, yeah. Seriously, it probably so occasionally you see or you'll see a newsletter that you like and say, what's the system they use? And that's how I noticed Substack and I'm noticing quite a few people use it. It's good. Awesome. I'm going to check it out. All right. Um, any tips for first-time facilitators that are listening in that um, want to get better at their webinar game? What advice would you have for them? I know you've been doing this for so many years, for decades, staff training, social work. Okay. Getting better at their webinar game. I think yeah. just start, maybe you just invent a few things, but think of those kind of like the pain point, topics around pain points, topics around, you know, great team building. And of course it's important, but it's not urgent at the minute. I think think about COVID topics in your area What's the pain and what's a few practical strategies you could offer around that? And try and bring as many examples in as possible. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, a nice clickbaity heading for that, you know, something that will really kind of grab people's attention. You know, you might just promote it on LinkedIn. I, I get good. I always promote my webinars there. and They get a good source of responses to that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think just go out on a limb. Look, the first one, no one's going to know that there was only a dozen people came along. It doesn't matter. But you've... <laughs> I'm the first one. Yeah, that's, that's right. You've yeah, got that yeah. first one. Yeah. yeah. And Zoom makes it, you know, the Zoom training materials... The Zoom, do a webinar run by Zoom about how to run webinars. They're fantastic. They're really excellent, you know. Yeah. And YouTube is just bursting with how-to stuff on all of that now oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, there's so many resources. So we'll put a link to mm. a few of those links um, in the mm. show notes for this one. And finally, Ken, if people would love to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so my LinkedIn, Ken Bergen, B-U-R-G-I-N. Let's connect that way. And my blog is kenbergen.com.au. We'll put those in the show notes. Ken, curation Ken, curator Ken. <laughs> it's been amazing getting to chat to you a bit more and hearing about the system. Really enjoyed it, yeah, yeah. And uh, your story and how you've sort of built this up. And I mean, it's like everything you've done in your past is sort of set for this moment in time and helping people out. So. I guess so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Satisfying. It is. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for sticking around. You've reached the end of another episode of the First Time Facilitator podcast. Connect with the show at firsttimefacilitator.com or follow me on Instagram at Leanne Hughes to find out what I'm up to during the week. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with someone who will also appreciate the insight and make it easier for yourself and subscribe to the show in your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and chat to you next week.